welcome. Um, back again on, on, on a Sunday morning, gathered together, and it's, it's great to, to see you all here. Um, my name's Matt, if you don't know me, I'm a member here, um, and I've been given the opportunity to, to preach through as we, as we make our way through um, a, a sermon series to Timothy, um, sort of a third weekend this week. Um, and if, you've, if you're not joined us in the past couple of weeks, um, and you've not got one already, pick up one of these little journal things. So, so it's the um, 1 2 Timothy and Titus, and it's an opportunity for you to take notes so that if anything's said, if you're anything like me, um, quite often things can be said, and by, by lunchtime you've forgotten what they were said already. So um, get, get your notes down, um, use it, and, and reflect on it in, in a year's time, in a, in a month's time, whenever. It's always good to dig these things out. Cool, I'm going to give this back to Beth because it's still on. Cool. Um, so, yeah, so we are in Timothy, um, or second, Paul's second letter to Timothy, um, as it's maybe common sense to think. Um, it, it was written by the Apostle Paul, um, knowing that at the time when he wrote it, he was reaching the end of his life. He was, he was not in a good situation, he was, he was in jail and he was being persecuted. Um, and, and he, he sort of had an awareness that this was probably the last letter that he was going to write to, to Timothy. Um, Timothy was to him a, a friend, a companion that he had been in, in ministry for for, for for a long time in his, in his life. And um, it, it, there's, there's an affection in the letter that he's writing to Timothy that he, he truly cares for um, both Timothy as a person in his relationship with God, but also the church that Timothy is involved in leading. Timothy was a, a leader of the church in Ephesus, um, and at, at the time, in, in that church, in that sort of context, in that arena, there was a huge amount of persecution and suffering being experienced by the local church there. So, so far in our in our studies in Timothy, we've we've sort of heard that Paul gave a call to Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel, to protect and maintain it, to. Um, not allow the, the gospel and the truth of who God is and what he's done for us to be distorted by people who are trying to adapt it to suit their own means or to, to pr- produce, to escalate their own agendas. Um, Timothy um, is also called by Paul to, to be strengthened and sustained in the grace of Jesus Christ and to then take that gospel that he's been given and to entrust it and entrust the responsibility of teaching and preaching the gospel to faithfully godly men and we find ourselves this week in 2 timothy 2 verse 3 to 13 so if you've got your bibles with you try and find it it's page 995 in the in the church bibles if you've got one it says share in the suffering as a good soldier of christ jesus No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have fair share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is, that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 
This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to, to meet as a, as a local body, as a, as a, as a church, and, and, and worship you, to proclaim your word and to, to hear it and to, to have it dwell upon our hearts, Lord. We pray for the areas of this, of this country, of this world where that is not the case, where um, just be meeting in a gathering like this would, would reduce in prison sentences and, and sometimes even death, Lord. Thank you for the, the blessing that you've given us, and I just pray that you sustain those churches where that is a truth. Lord, I thank, I thank you that we can rely on you for, for times of trouble, that when we are experiencing suffering, persecution, whatever, Lord, that we can rely on you and we can come to you and bring it to you. I pray that you'll be with us today, that the words I say will be from you, that if there's anything that has been prepared, that you'll just take it away, that you will, you will not allow me to say it and that you will place on, on my heart and, and the hearts of everyone with us today what you want them to hear. Pray for the mechanics of today, just in terms of nerves and speech, that you will just guard me from that and that you will free out and, and remove any hindrances to, to the gospel and to, to you today. Um, amen. Cool. So, in this, in this part of the passage, Timothy is being told by Paul to be strong in the midst of suffering. This section of Paul's letter, it gives a framework of what it looks like and what the Christian response to suffering and persecution should be. And it's sort of split roughly into two sections. It's what we should do and why we should do it slash how we should do it. And it's interesting that Paul in this part of his, um, of, of, his, of his letter to Timothy doesn't speak in hypotheticals or potentials. It's not if you come into suffering. It's not this, this might happen, but it might not. It's when you are in suffering, be strengthened. Share in the suffering that is going to come. And, and that is just part of Christian life. That is an expected part of, of Christian life. If you're a Christian, you expect there to be an element of suffering and persecution. In our context today, we just need to look to, to the Middle East, like in present day today. The Middle East, there are people being killed for the faith. There are people who are being um, disowned from families because of their faith. But today, here in Liverpool and Lark Lane, that isn't quite the case, or it definitely isn't the case. Um, we're not being killed for our faith. We're not being put in prison because of um, believing the gospel. We're not being attacked in the streets. But isolation is still a real problem. Sickness, our own sin, the sin of others, a culture that is increasingly, massively and growingly aggressive against biblical truths and values. Our society hates the gospel. Jesus, in, in Matthew 10, verse 22, he says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. If you've been a Christian for longer than a week, then you're likely to have received, experienced some degree of suffering related to your faith, be it spiritual, be it um, physical, be it whatever. There's, there's likely to be an element of it, at least. And Paul gives this, this call to, to Timothy to share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
for no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. Um, I'm the type of person who, when a show comes up on telly, like the, a game show, or normally game shows, I'm always the first person to say, I could do that, that is dead easy, I'd, I'd be the first in line to do that. The Apprentice it's on at the moment, I, I think I'd be the, the optimum ca- candidate for that. I think I'd get Lord Sugar's um, job at the end of it. Um, the Hunted is one where there's um, law enforcement agencies trying to catch me- normal members of the public and they have to evade capture. I think I could do that. Pointless with uh, Richard Osman. I think I know enough pointless information to be able to, to, to conquer that trophy. But there's one show that I have never said that about. SAS Who Dares Wins. Has anyone seen it? No? Okay. What they do is they take around about 20 reasonably fit, strong, hard-working people, and they put them through an intensive SAS training course. They take them away from the families and they are drilled. And normally people quit, people almost die doing it. They, they, are, they are knackered and they, yeah, there's no way that a normal person can do any of the things that these guys in the SAS do. And you just see it, I've never once said I could do that. But one thing you do get from me when you're looking at the show is the, the commitment that the, the leaders or the, or the sort of trainers have done it. They've been there, they've been the SAS soldiers and they have, they have been to war, they've been on operations, they have, they have done it all. And one thing you get from them is they have a huge level of commitment. There is a grit and a determination that I, I can't see anywhere else in society. There is a single-mindedness that points them straight ahead. Um, soldiers, if you, if you know one, if you've met one, if you are, have ever been one, they have a, a, a laser focus that takes everything out. Everything. So if, in the battlefield, if their concentration slips for a moment, the consequences could be disastrous for themselves, for their team, for the people they are trying to protect. A soldier who's on a mission, who is in enemy territory, is not thinking about um, thinking about back home, about what colour he's going to paint the fence. He's not thinking about how many Facebook likes he has. He's not wondering what the Kardashians are up to. No, he's fully focused on the mission at hand. He's not engaged in civilian pursuits. And that's the attitude that Paul is trying to foster in Timothy here. John Calvin, on this verse, he says, The condition of military discipline is such that as soon as a soldier has enrolled himself under a general... He leaves his, his house and all his affairs and thinks of nothing but war. And in, like man, and in like manner, in order that we may be wholly devoted to Christ, we must be free from all the entanglements of this world. Is that the attitude that we have? Are we free from all the entanglements of this world? As Christians, that's what we're called to be. We're called to be single-minded. But are we? Do we allow things to become primary issues in the church? Do we elevate minor theological issues to be in uh, a matter of you believe this or you're not a Christian? How often are we more concerned about the style of preaching, the style of music, the, the children's work? In some churches, how strong or how weak the orange squash is? Can all be sort of key things which people kick off about, but in the core, they are either secondary issues, tertiary issues, or they just don't matter at all. Do we care more about if a person has tattoos, uses a different Bible translation, wears socks and sandals? Or do we care that that person meets God? 
and Liberty Church, are we sometimes more focused about being a relevant, growing church than we are about being a church which proclaims and loves Jesus? Do we seek to please the one who enlisted us? Paul calls Timothy and us, um, Paul, sorry, Paul's call to Timothy and to us to have a t- single-minded determination about the gospel in the face of suffering and persecution is key. The second image that Paul gives us is one of an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. If any of you have, have met my dad, um, just looking at him, you will know that he is not an athlete. He is um, D-shaped, he, is, he carries all of his weight in his stomach, and there was a fad of about a decade ago now where these machines were sort of pumped out on, on QVC on these, these different shopping channels. And it was a, a contraption that you'd strap to your stomach and it'd send electric pulses to your, to your stomach and the, in, the, in the hope that you would have toned abs, okay? My dad bought one of these and he'd come in and we'd, we'd find him after, after tea one night, sat in front of the telly, Grey's Anatomy on, this thing on his tummy, eating ice cream, okay? <laughs> he was never gonna have perfect abs because he wasn't following the rules. Um, today, this afternoon, Liverpool are gonna beat Manchester United, hopefully, okay? But if you cast your mind back to the 11th of May, 1996, and as I'm saying that, I'm aware that some people, no, I think most people will be alive. Um, but yeah, we had, okay, apart from the babies, um, <laughs> we had Manchester United against Liverpool in the FA Cup final. And it was just at a time where football was becoming a bit more of a professional sport. People were being able to, um, to make a, a huge living on it. And you had um, a sort of a crossroads where you had the, the attitude of players going out and drinking and partying and, and enjoying all of the sort of unhealthy things to being core, physical, peak athletes. And you had these, this, these two worlds collided in that FA Cup final. You had in the for Liverpool you had Neil Razor Ruddock, you had Jason McAteer, John Mark Barnes, Phil Babb and Robbie Fowler, who were partiers, let's say. They they enjoyed a good drink after a match, they had beers and all kinds of stuff under the seat of the coach so that after the match they could go home and they could have a party. For the nineties you had the class of ninety-two. Uh, for, for Man United, you had the class of 92. Gary and Phil Neville, Nicky Butt, Roy Keane, David Beckham, Paul Scholes, and it pains me to say that they were amazing as a football team. But they employed the use of dietitians, of exercise, of in- intent, and they had an intense, determin- intense determination to succeed. Okay. This part about um, not obeying the laws of... Um, it doesn't... An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's not about if they do um, the laws of the game well, if they, if they don't get any sanctions. It's about whether they are determined in the preparation and the training and the, the exercise, if they have that desire to win. And again here, Paul is setting out a disciplined focus in Timothy's suffering. Everything that an athlete does is focused on achieving the most um, to winning the most trophies, to achieving the most goals that is possible in a short career that they have. Here, for, for Paul, for Timothy, for, for us, there is an emphasis on living life, not focused on the here and now. To viewing life with an eternity lens. So if you imagine a huge line going from this side of the room all the way down to, to Manchester, okay, 
that if we, if we think of that as an eternity we are here we are like a small little time in the in the grand scheme of things and so often when we are in suffering we are experiencing persecution or isolation our focus can be on the here and now and we fail to see life and we fail to see that suffering and that persecution in light of eternity in light of God's greatest plan for the world We live in a culture that is all about the here and now. If something isn't easy or brings us discomfort, it gets discarded and we move on to the new thing. Imagine if God was like that with us. All the times that we failed him, right, doesn't matter, I'm gonna start a new thing. I'm I'm gonna discard you and I'm gonna start something. Praise God that that isn't true. Praise God that he is determined and he is focused and he is disciplined in, in us. And in, in light of that, we need to reflect God's character. We need to be disciplined in the face of suffering. We need to resolve to view persecution and suffering in light of eternity. The third image that Paul brings up is that of a farmer. The word used is, is hard work, in which literally, if you look at the, the original language, it, it says that hard work in the translation is working to the point of exhaustion. And again, we, we can potentially see farming today as maybe something that technology has, has worked on to improve and it's not that it, it's a difficult job but it's made easier and um, Vodafone and like, I, I listen to talk sports a lot and an advert that comes in all the time is Vodafone making life great for farmers so I'm, I'm going to list some of the innovations that they have made they have something called Moocore okay, which is a device that goes onto the back of a cow's tail so when they're about to give birth it sends an alert to the farmer so the farmer then come out and deliver the, the cow for something called um, that they have things which monitor the flower and they fill it with, with the right nutrients and they, they can sort of concoct this perfect balance of um, nutritious flour the vineyard there's, there's, um, there's con- contraptions there's machines and technology that goes into the ground and it measures things like humidity, the temperature, the soil um, the water density okay it's I don't know I, I don't know many farmers but that seems like to me that it make life a lot easier for them okay. back then farming was a graft it was even more of a graft than it is today and that is what Paul, um, Paul wants for Timothy he wants us to graft he wants us to be in to have an awareness of where we are in our, in our context it is a graft we need to work hard to 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 separate time so that we can spend time in God's word, that we can send, spend time in prayer, that we can spend time with the people. There's so many things that are just coming in and trying to stop us from doing that. We need to graft and make it a, an intense... We need to be focused on doing that. All the three images that Paul paints is a picture of someone being strong and determined in the, in the face of struggle and adversity. And what drives each of them? They have a focus on something better, on something bigger than themselves. The soldier, he wants to please the one who enlisted him. The athlete, he wants the crown. And the farmer is ready for the harvest. In the second section of of today's passage, Paul tells Timothy and us what our focus should be on. With Gideon, one of the the things I like to do when I'm sort of taking him, um, when he's 
Beth's been in the kitchen or she's upstairs or whatever, I like to say to him, Gideon, will you go and tell your mummy that she's beautiful? Will you go and tell her that she's amazing, that she's a good cook? Things like that, okay? So we sort of go in and I fed him the line. I'm sort of expecting him to sort of go in and it'd be this nice little sweet little moment that he's telling Beth, um, well done for, for something, okay? So we walk into the, into the room and he gets Beth's attention. He goes, mummy, mummy, mummy. And she goes, yeah, yeah. And he goes, and he turns to me and he goes, what was I going to say? <laughs> okay. He's completely forgotten it and it just takes away all the spontaneity of the moment. And I have to remind him. Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of isolation, in persecution, how much do we need that reminder? We're forgetful people. When we look at the persecution and suffering and isolation that surrounds us, that we experience it and we adopt it as our identity, when we, when we choose to, to indulge and to wallow in that, we forget Jesus. Paul sort of, in, the, in this one little sentence, sets out some characteristics of who Jesus is, of, what he, of, of who he is to us. And they are all things that we forget. We forget that Jesus is Christ, the Messiah. Christ is literally the one that is chosen by God to save us. We forget that Jesus is risen from the dead, not was risen, which is a, a sort of a past tense, but is currently risen. He is, he is alive today and he is making a mockery of death. He died and he came back to life and he emerged as victor over suffering, pain and death. We forget that he is triumphant over all things. And when we look at our suffering and we adopt it, we, we wallow in it and we, we have a triumphant person there and we just forget to, to go to him for it. We forget that he is the promised king that was promised to King David in 2 Samuel 7. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise you up. Uh, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We forget that Jesus is king. And we need reminding every minute of every hour, of every day, we need reminder. In 2 Timothy, this reminder comes from Paul. Verses 8 to 9, they say, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Paul is reminding Timothy, and in turn, he's reminding us, that Jesus, um, of Jesus so he's reminding us of Jesus from prison. He is literally in chains. I've been to quite a few prisons recently as an outpatient, not as a... Okay. Okay. And, and you walk in and there is, uh, there is reception desks, there's play areas outside, there's deer in um, HMP Forest Bank just sort of roaming around the outside. It's a really quite a nice drive up as you, as you head into this prison. And then you go in and there's... Um, everything is clean. Everything is, is quite sterile. There's, it's to a degree safe. And there are degrees of autonomy. People are allowed to sort of move around in some prisons as they like. There's free movement. Back then there was no European Convention of Human Rights which allows this to happen. It would have been grim. 
It would have been dirty, it would have been cold, there would have been regular beatings, there would have been huge amounts of suffering. And Paul was in there. And he sort of sets out three things that, that he's experienced here. He's, he's suffering. He's in pain here. He's in pain for the gospel. He is literally in chains. And they see him as a criminal. The literal there is an evildoer. They see him as someone who is doing evil in proclaiming Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Today's context, though we might not be dying, we might not be imprisoned for our faith, more and more society is viewing the gospel as evil. Faithfully following Christ is seen as evil in today's society and more and more attempts are being made daily to stifle Christian voices and to turn from the biblical truths and good that is in the Bible and turn into other things. But, but what does Paul say in verses 8 to 9? He says, The word of God cannot be bound. Paul can endure the suffering because he, that he experiences because he can see the greater good. He can say that although I'm in chains, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I can endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In, in our tribe, in our, in our, sort of, in our church, we, we, we like that term, the elect. Don't we? It's, it's one of those things, it's like a, a win for, for our theology sometimes. Okay, and our theology can quite often be one of those things that I talked about earlier, which we, re- we raise to be in a, a core issue, an inalienable, inalienable thing that cannot be taken away and we will fight to the death for. There are people who are, do not follow that, that theology, who are Christians, who love Jesus, who know the gospel and, and bank in it. But anyway, yeah, the the term elect, we like it because the passage highlights two, sorry, we like it in our tribe, but this passage highlights two potential easy mistakes to fall into. One, Paul is suffering so so that the the gospel can be be proclaimed, sorry. Um, God, my words have completely gone. Um, Yeah, Paul is suffering. So, if Paul needs to suffer to persuade people of the gospel, to persuade people of the need for Jesus, then it's the people's choice and there's no such thing as election. That's wrong. Paul says the opposite here. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus. My commitment to suffer for the gospel does not mean that no one has chosen to believe it. It means that I am an instrument. Uh, I'm God's instrument to save those who are. God is using people to bring him, bring people towards him. Sometimes that means an easy life. Sometimes that means comfort. Sometimes that means suffering. When you are suffering, God is not, God is using you, God could be using you as a vessel, as an instrument to bring people to you. And the second easy mistake to fall into when we're thinking about election is, well, if there are people who are chosen before the foundation of the world, then we don't need to do anything job's done we can pack up our our lives we can just come and we can be sort of a a holy huddle and we can not do anything because it's all done it's already been it's already been set aside it's already been it's already been decided who is going to come and God is going to make it happen and while there are elements where God is going to make something happen if he decrees it to be so he will make that happen Paul says the opposite here 
He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is Christ Jesus. The certainty that there are people who God has chosen does not make me stop preaching, does not make me stop suffering for the sake of the gospel, but it gives me confidence that my ministry and my suffering on our lives will not be in vain, and God will use everything for his good and his glory. Paul had that determination and single-mindedness of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. Everything that was done was done for the purpose of being used by God to bring people to salvation so that they may may spend eternity in glory with God. If that wasn't the case, he would have been like, hold on a second, I'm not going to jail for this. If he didn't believe it, he wasn't so steadfastly and sure and laser-focused, he would have been putting his feet up in sunny Spain. No, he was willing to go to, to dark places for the gospel. Do we have that same single-mindedness? Are we so concerned with the glory of God and the good of those in this area to the point where we will endure anything? With, with Gideon and Titus, like, and, and Nehemiah, I, I would die for them. I would literally put my life on the line and, and if, it, if it, it was necessary, I can't think of any scenario where it would be, but if necessary, I would die for my kids. But at five o'clock in the morning, when they're wide awake and they won't play dinosaurs, that's not happening. Okay. We are called to suffer and to sacrifice. And that means, yes, big things. That means maybe, potentially, there might be a time where one of us is, is arrested for the gospel. But it also means dying to self in the small instances. In the times where we don't really have the energy to, to read our Bibles. We don't want to, to be generous and, and, and loving with our time. The Christian life is sacrificing everything for the gospel. Are we willing to suffer for the sake of the elect in this area and what would that look like? It would look like going into the, the pubs and, and clubs and, and shops that maybe aren't that comfortable for us. Milo Lounge is brilliant, we love it, but if we're there every day and we don't go to any of the other places, are we then neglecting a different people group in this area? Remember Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, the Christ, Messiah, and Savior. Remember Jesus, the conqueror of death. Remember Jesus, the promised king and ruler of all. We might be buckling under the pressure of our sin, of suffering and persecution, but because of the cross, we are saved from that. We might be in chains, real or metaphorical, but the word of God is not bound. Jesus is king, whether you like it or not. 
Paul comes to the end of this, this section of his letter to Timothy with a trustworthy, trustworthy saying. Now when he says that, he, he literally says, this saying is trustworthy for, when you see that phrase, it means you can bank on this. This is something that you can put your faith in. You can put all your hens, your eggs on, in, in one basket, and you can say, this is where I'm going all in. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, sorry, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. If we are in Christ, that is, if we acknowledge him as, as Lord of Lords, King of Kings and, and triumphant over everything, we will live with him for eternity. We will get to enjoy him there, knowing that he has made it right with God for us to have access there. If we endure the suffering, remembering him, if, if when we are experiencing persecution, isolation, sin, that just won't go away. If we endure that and we, we set our, our identity and our hope in him, we will reign with him. We will we'll be co-heirs with him. We will we'll share the riches of the riches of relationship with God with him. But if we deny him, if if that isn't us, sorry, if that isn't something that we are doing for the people you know who don't have that as a truth, if we deny him, if they deny him, he will deny us. Jesus said he would. Um, Jesus said, if that was to happen, he would say, "Depart from me, I never knew you." That 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 sentence that to hear those words coming from Jesus, that's big. That's not like, oh well, maybe maybe try again next time. That isn't a. Um, it'll all be okay in the end. It's a, I do not know you. This is a big deal, and it's a significant warning to Timothy for himself and his church and to us for ourselves and, and the area that we live in. If there are people here who are denying, denying him and there are in this area, these are people who are going to be said to, by Jesus, go away, I did not know you. There's a responsibility on us to reach the people of this area, to tell people about Jesus, to, to shove the gospel down the throats if necessary and to have that laser focus attitude to the gospel if we are faithless he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself there are sort of two readings of this that both have weight okay, so the first one is we repeatedly fail to meet the standard we, repeat, we are repeatedly turning from God to other things and we are like in, in, in the book of Hosea there is a picture of a faithless wife, wife leaving her husband time and time again and she is faithless to him we are utterly faithless to God outside of the gospel outside of any, any movement of the, of the spirit we will always turn and run away from what is good we fail to be the laser-focused soldier, the disciplined athlete, or the heart of a diligent farmer. But Jesus, as, as that verse in, in Hebrew said, he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He made it right. He was faithful when we weren't. He was, he was focused on the good that was set before him, and he endured the cross. 
so that we could be brought back in. So even though we are faithless, he is faithful and he brings us back in. He is faithful to us because of the love that he had for us, he made a way. The second reading is one that I probably, on the balance of things, land on more. Is that God is primarily faithful to himself. He cannot go against his character. That's just not something that he does. And his character is just. His character is righteous. And at our core, like, well, at our core, outside of God, we are faithless. We do not choose him off our own back and we deserve to have that rejection from God. But God is also trustworthy. He is also merciful. Romans 3, verse 3 to 4 says, What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, let God be true, even the... Um, let God be true though everyone were a liar God is faithful to himself he is faithful to, to his trustworthiness he is faithful to his mercy and he is faithful to the work that his son has done on the cross so when we trust in him when we cling to the promises that he has made where, where he, has, he has made it clear to us that if we put our faith in him if, if, we are, if we come to him and we say, I am nothing, but you are everything. If we cling to him, he will save us. When we cling to him, he is steadfast. He is sure. He is the saving Messiah. He is the conqueror. He is the promised king. So in our sin and our isolation and our persecution, remember Jesus. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. He is king and our strength it's not in us, it's in him. The, the three pictures at the beginning, we cannot be 100% the, um, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. But he can. He was perfect when we failed. He was faithful when we weren't. And because he is faithful to himself, because he is holy and right and trustworthy, we cling to him and we hold on. And know that in, in that, when we cling and we hold on, there's nothing that the suffering, the persecution, the isolation, our sin, anything can fail. Uh, everything will fail when we go with God. Romans 8, 31, and I'll read this to close. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or suffering, or sin, or persecution? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember Jesus. He is strong when we're not. Father God, thank you for that truth. Thank you that 
we can bank on you, that we can put our, our, our trust knowing that you have made a way for us to be right with you. Jesus, you, you came, you lived the life that we couldn't and you are king of all. And I pray that we will remember that. I pray that we will have that as a core foundation of our lives, that we will set that as our identity. Spirit, thank you for, for turning us away from sin and to yourself. Thank you that you have um, stirred a, a, a call in our, in our hearts to, to turn from, from brokenness. And in the moments of suffering, I pray that you will, you will highlight that to us, that you will set yourself as a part in the way to follow and that you will call us and, and stop us and protect us from going down the, the route of, of wallowing in our, in our suffering to, to just staying in sin. I just pray that you will, you will help us, that you will set a, a focus in our, in our hearts and our minds to follow you. Thank you that when we were not strong, when we were faithless, you were faithful. That we can cling to you, that we can, we can see you as our, our, as our refuge and our, and our rescuer. And I pray that that will be the case. Over the next week, I pray that you will just place on our hearts a, a desire to, to know you, to worship you. To, in our suffering to set you as, as the primary to be laser focused to be diligent to be um, disciplined and I, I pray that you will, you will protect us from anything that God that will take us away from those things thank you that we can rest in you that even though we suffer even though we have persecution even though we are isolated that you bring us to yourself and in you we have our, our identities formed and perfected because they are in something which is fully perfect. Amen. Uh, share communion now together. Um, as we do, we remember and we kind of take this meal reflecting and focusing on a God who is truly faithful. As we share this uh, bread together, remember Jesus' body that was broken. Because we demonstrated ourselves to be faithful, because he is, was, and always will be faithful. This is what John says in, in 1 John. He says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we take this meal, we, we do three things we confess of our sin, we celebrate the gospel, and we take it as an opportunity to care for one another so it's an opportunity for us to pray with each other and give each other this meal as we as we encourage each other in Christ we celebrate the finished work of the gospel and we also come we confess our sin so let's spend a few moments before we come and take this bread and take this wine and juice and reflect on the ways in which we have walked in unfaithfulness this week we know the holy call that we have been given we know the mandate that we have been given go to the lost of this community, in our workplaces, in our families. You know the mandate we have been given to be holy as God is holy and the countless ways in which we haven't done that this week. But we also know that when we confess of our sins, Jesus is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins. So as you take this bread, remember that Jesus' body was broken. As we take of the bread, of the juice and the wine, remember that his blood was shed. So that we could come to him now in this moment and confess of our sin and know that he has forgiven us. 
a beautiful truth. Even in our unfaithfulness, He is faithful. He's forgiven your sin. So take a few moments in quiet. I'll give thanks for the bread. I'll give thanks for the juice and the wine. Confess of your sin. Repent of your sin. Ask for the Spirit's help. For his strength, for his provision to walk away from sin. But pray in the knowledge that he has forgiven your sin. He has done everything required to justify you. He is both the forgiver of sins and the justifier. So let me pray and then when you're ready, come up and take the bread. If you want to share this with someone else, just maybe take some bread, take the juice and the wine back to your seat. And you can take the meal together. But let me give thanks. And then let's take this meal together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that, that even now as we are thinking back over this week, even, even this day as we come together, we recognize our unfaithfulness. We recognize the ways in which we have fallen short of your glory. Fallen short of the perfect standard that you have set us. But Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be brought into the family of God. That you have justified us. That you have made payment for our sin. That you are able to stand before the Father and, and, and plead on our behalf our righteousness because we are in you. We thank you that even though we are faithless, you remain faithful. Help us now as we reflect on our week. Help us to, to remember the way that we have been unfaithful, to remember our sin. Help us to confess and be honest before you of, of what we've done. Help us to cling tightly to the truth that our sins have been forgiven. That Jesus, you were faithful and faithful even unto death. To make a way for us to be brought into the family. So Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken. Thank you for your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you brought us into this family together. So as we take this meal with our hearts and our, our minds, we set on you, Lord Jesus. Would we see you as King? Would we see you as Messiah? Would we see you as the suffering servant? And would your Holy Spirit strengthen us where we are weak? Help us to celebrate that the, the work of the cross has been finished. That Jesus, you are no longer dead, but you are alive. In you we have eternal life and life here and now. Help us to care for each other in this moment. Just give us the sermons if, if we need to pray or share this meal with one another. Just lead us to see who that would be. Help us to speak tenderly and lovingly over one another. We thank you for this meal. We thank you for all that it causes us to remember. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.